0: Good morning everyone and welcome to a Vision for You. Today is Sunday, january sixth, two thousand and nineteen. The share ID numbers for Friday, january fourth are the following. For the seven AM Eastern Big Book Study, twelve thousand three hundred and eighty two. That's one two three eighty two. And for the ten AM Eastern Big Book Study, twelve thousand three hundred and eighty three. That's one, two, three, eight, three. This morning, A Vision for You presents We Had to Fully Concede. All of us have come to this program as a result of the suffering, hopelessness, and desperation we experienced in our disease of compulsive overeating. Beaten into a state of reasonableness, we come to the realization that we are doomed. Step one we admitted we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable, is an admission of the central problem we face as real compulsive overeaters, our powerlessness over food and the unmanageable life that has resulted. Once we can admit our powerlessness, a door opens to the solution to our problem. As long as we deny our powerlessness, however, our problem cannot be solved. The first step is about admitting defeat in our battle with food and compulsive overeating. But step one is not merely an intellectual admission of powerlessness. It is an emotional acceptance of our powerlessness at the gut level. This acceptance of powerlessness and unmanageability is, as the AA 12 and 12 refers, an experience of utter defeat, bankruptcy hopelessness and hitting bottom as the big book says we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics for us compulsive overeaters this is the first step in recovery joining us today to speak about step one are three recovered compulsive overeaters our panelists today include Allison L from Ohio Pete B. from Pennsylvania, and Terry A.H. from Maine. So let's get started with our first panelist, Allison L. Good morning, Allison.
1: Good morning, Leah. Thank you for that introduction um, and for all of your service. You are a wonderful example of God's handiwork through this program. Um, this morning I just want to start with a prayer before we, before I um Get too much further. So, God, please use the experiences shared here today to show your power, love, and way of life to someone listening who needs hope. May it show them that there's a way out and give them the strength to take action. Amen. So, as Leah said, I am Allison L., I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Ohio. As I was preparing this past week to share on thinking over what I might share with you all today, I came down with a stomach flu and it wiped out me and my entire family for a couple of days. And uh, so that allowed me a chance to think about how in my pre-OA days, in my disease, um, I used to hope that I would get the stomach flu. I longed for just a few days of not thinking about food or wanting food or craving food or planning food. Um, how I would get it, and then um, how I would need to work off the foods I had eaten. Um, And, you know, I'd always be hoping, of course, that I would lose a few pounds, and that somehow after recovering from the flu, I would be reset and able to eat like a normal person. Um, And now in recovery and being restored to sanity, there was no part of me that wanted to have this stomach flu as I saw it taking down other members of the family. I was trying my best not to get it. Um, And then I thought and realized, well, the fact that I I used to want to get the stomach flu um, is a great qualifier for this morning. I certainly don't know any normal eaters um, who used to want to get the the stomach flu or go through that. Um, I'll go ahead and give you some more qualifiers. They are um, what led me to fully concede that I'm a compulsive eater, that I'm powerless over food, and my life had become unmanageable as a result. And I will share also what I did to make a start towards recovery once I came to that conclusion. Um, I've been in OA for five years and recovered for a little over two, um, which does mean to me, recovered means to me that I've been entirely abstinent and doing so uh, happily without having to white knuckle it uh, because I've had a spiritual awakening that I continue to build upon every day by working the steps as outlined in the big book that we study here in this meeting. Um, the disease, the the disease of compulsive overeating manifested um, early in my life. I can look back at memories even as a child and I recall my fixation with food. It was always the highlight for me of holidays, celebrations, coming home from school, lunch at school, lunch at home, dinner, social occasion. It was a treat for anything and everything. And it was always my friend without fail. Food was the thing that made me feel better when I was uncomfortable with emotions or just life in general. And then as I got older, it manifested as bulimia, dieting, restricting, making all kinds of rules and regulations around my food uh, that I was never able to stick to for long. So I was always planning new diets, new meals, new foods, new ways of trying to, to beat the system I felt that I was trapped in. I wanted to eat as much as I could without gaining weight. Or I wanted to lose as lose weight as quickly as possible so that I could then somehow be normal and eat like a normal person. My life was a repeated cycle of losing and gaining weight. One of the miracles of my physical recovery now, it's not only being at a normal body weight, but it's that that I'm consistently at a normal body weight. There's no more ups and downs. I no longer need four different sizes in my closet, I've been able to get rid. Of of so many clothes, I just need one size in there at my normal body weight that I um, stay at. I begin I began to see uh, the progression of the illness in my life as it became increasingly difficult to stay on any kind of diet. Sometimes it would work for a long period of time. In college, I could stick to points or calories uh, for months at a time with a few slips. In the days before I first came to OA, I could no longer stick to any kind of goal, even for one day, not one day. My emotional stability was progressively worse and worse. I would lash out, rarely apologize, hide, cancel plans. I had very few close friends. I really was not someone you could depend on. And these were all symptoms of the spiritual malady. The emotional instability and irrationality was not great for my romantic relationships. I skipped from guy to guy, looking for one that would make me all better, I got married right after college, divorced four years later. I did remarry shortly after that. And by the grace of God and recovery, I'm still married to my second husband and we have three kids together. Um, my f- family relationships suffered over the years of me using food to cope with life. My parents, brother, cousin, aunts, uncles, my grandma, they were, they were just all got to the point they were afraid of me. I was often unkind to them, thinking only of myself. I tried telling them how to live their lives because that made me feel like uh, a little bit better if I could, you know, tell them what to do. So uh, it got to the point a lot where they avoided me, didn't tell me things. And I was kind of okay with that. Um, Along with health risks that come with gaining and losing a lot of weight over and over again, I also had a lot of dental work that I always needed to have done. I always had a, a dentist appointment on the calendar for more work. Uh, all the mass quantities of sugar, pop, the purging, it all equaled cavities, root canals. Uh, I had one tooth extracted, an implant, and then there were the embarrassing explanations When curious dental workers just couldn't understand the enamel erosion and all the dental work for someone my age. And I'd have to, you know, give some kind of explanation for that. I did try to get help sometimes by working new diet plans or seeing a psychologist, um, talking to close friends, Uh, about my eating issues and life issues. And and these were kind of the beginning of my admission of powerlessness, but I needed much more self-controlled experimentation before I would fully concede. In my illness, I always tried to find a magic fix, a diet pill, a new house, a new job, a relationship, new city, new clothes. In 2013, I found myself in in a new predicament, a new type of bottom. As I mentioned, I am currently married and Uh, He's a wonderful, stable man. And back in 2013, we were married. We had two little boys at that time. I hadn't had my third yet. I was a stay-at-home mom. We had financial security. I felt like I was in pretty good shape, meaning I was at a normal body weight that I was kind of happy with. And I was running and um, keeping fit. And yet I was restless, irritable, and discontent when I wasn't binging. And I couldn't seem to go long without binging. So I looked around and there was nothing in my life that I could fix. I didn't want to move anywhere or change anything. Um, I knew I had to be the problem and diets were not working. Like I said, I couldn't stick to journaling or any kind of goal for my food even for one day. I'd be a pa- past my allotted calories or points by lunchtime and I was just, I was out of ideas. Uh, I remembered someone had mentioned OA to me once so I googled it and I took, took the little quiz on there and I passed that with flying colors so I found myself a Local meeting. Uh, In the first year attending, um, you know, I was relieved to find others like me and also kind of pissed off because they kept talking about abstinence, which I I didn't like. Um, I tried finding loopholes to this, you know, abstinence, like ones I had learned to use in diets things like if if i don't know what are in the ingredients then it doesn't doesn't count right or if i if i substitute natural things then it should be okay or you know going to restaurants and well i don't really know what's in this i'll just assume that you know there's nothing in there that i shouldn't be eating um so my first year in oa i was hearing a lot that i needed to abstain uh but i wasn't really sure of why so a year Later, in 2014, I had a sponsor who shared with me about this particular OA meeting, a vision for you that we're on right now, and told me they studied the big book and would, you know, would I be interested in going through the big book with her? And I had never cracked the big book before that, so we did. Um, And here's what I learned about the core. Here is where I learned uh, when we cracked open the big book about my powerlessness, the two-part nature of the illness that I have this allergic reaction to certain substances and a mind that drives me back to them over and over again, you know, simply called the mental obsession. Before we read together, my sponsor told me, look up the definition of allergy. And so I did. And the simplest form of that definition is that an allergy is an abnormal reaction to a substance. So we started reading the doctor's opinion, and I saw this word allergy being used several times, and I could remember that definition. She also told me to think about the word um, alcohol in the big book and for me to think of it as either food ingredients or I prefer to think of it just as substances because I, I know alcohol drugs certain kinds of ingredients in food they're, they're all just substances so I can relate easily when I do that so page um, in the doctor's opinion page XXVIII it says um, and one part the action of alcohol on these chronic alcoholics is a manifestation of an allergy that the phenomenon of craving is limited to this class and never occurs in the average temperate drinker. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all, and once having formed a habit and found they cannot break it, once having lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon things human, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult to solve. And then lower on the same page, it tells me, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. To them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. They are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking a few drinks. Then it goes on to explain on the next page the cycle that happens once I take my allergic substance into my body the phenomenon of craving develops. I pass through through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a resolution not to drink again. And this is repeated over and over and over. So my, my work, quote unquote, in step one, was to see if I could look over my own history and identify with this. It certainly explained to me why I ate foods that I didn't like or that were undercooked, overcooked, stale, old, harmful to my, or harmful to my health. Uh, It wasn't for my love of food as I had always kind of thought. It wasn't because, you know, I even wanted to eat these things. It was because if I didn't get these things into my body, I was so restless, irritable, and discontented uh, that uh, I would just go crazy. I had to get them into my body for ease and comfort that came when I did. And then once I ingested these substances, my body craved more and more. And this brought to mind all the times that I continued to eat when I wanted to stop I would, you know, in my mind be begging my hand, to stop bringing it to my mouth. But my hand just wouldn't stop. And even if my hand did stop, the physical craving just overpowered anything else at times. And eventually I just kept going until I had binged myself into pain. Uh, And then I would swear it off uh, until the emotions of life again built up and I needed ease and comfort. And this is the mental obsession that drove me back again and again to that which is my allergic substance. So I identified that I had the abnormal allergic reaction to certain substances, um, and page XXX tells me what the solution is for this particular part of my illness. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Here was my explanation for why entire abstinence.
2: Um,
1: And then the solution for my, the second part of the problem, the mental obsession is is named in several places in the book. Um, On page 25, it tells me the solution is, quote, a deep and effective spiritual experience. Um, and I'll also read it on page XXIX. After it's described the cycle of addiction, it says, quote, unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of this of his recovery. So an entire psychic change, how do I get one of those, the 12 steps? And this book outlines the steps to take for the necessary psychic change to halt my mental obsession one day at a time, as long as I work it so that my thinking doesn't drive me back into the substances. That I, the substances that I know I have this abnormal killer reaction to. So I, I learned two part problem, allergy to certain substances, mental obsession that drives me back to those substances, and then the two part solution, uh, entire abstinence from my allergen substances, and the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And I'd like to say after reading this and relating to it in 2014, I just, I recovered and and kept going, but that was not my path. I continued trying to find loopholes to the entire abstinence prescription that the book gave. Um, I had times when I would be entirely abstinent, work the steps and have some glimpses at recovery, but I did not follow the uh, directions precisely from that time on. Um, I would add foods back in because I wasn't convinced of my powerlessness. Um, I continue to seek an effect when the steps um, I didn't do didn't provide an effect. Uh, Imagine that. I didn't do it, and they didn't give me the effect. Uh, I had to get the effect somewhere, uh, so I got it from allergic substances and behaviors. And while I never went back to eating sugar or flour, I certainly was not entirely abstinent. So in 2016, um, I hit another bottom, and I don't pretend like it was the lowest possible bottom for me. I fully understand there is always a lower bottom waiting if I stop doing this work. The disease would never give up until I was dead. There's always a lower bottom uh, for me, I know. But in 2016, I was feeling so restless, irritable, and discontent on a daily basis. Fears were plaguing me. I was seeking a numbing effect from eating Um eating anything, even food that was abstinent for me. I would eat it while watching TV to get that numbing effect. Uh, And I didn't, I I couldn't hardly be away from my home for long. I didn't like it. Uh, I would wake up in the morning and I would, the only thing I would look forward to on a lot of days was just what can I eat and watch today? And I knew there was a life better than that. So I was praying to God to save me from these horrible fears I would have terrible pictures running through my head of terrible things happening to my children or other children, and it paralyzed me at times I had had thoughts during that time of not wanting to even live in this world anymore. And each time I prayed for God to help, there would always be the thought brought to my mind of, you know the solution, OA and the steps. You've got to do the work. So one day I was listening to a special edition, just like the one we're on today, and someone was talking about how she was powerless, because once she engaged in certain behaviors or ate certain foods, she couldn't stop. And even if she did stop for any period of time, she would go back to those foods and behaviors because the obsession of the mind was so overpowering. And I just, I broke down when I heard her say it. This was something I had heard many times. I had read many times. I had related to many times. But in that moment, I knew that I was absolutely powerless. And as Leah said in her her introduction, it hit me. Um, It was like an emotional acceptance at a gut level. It was the utter defeat through my whole body. I knew the only hope for me was to be entirely abstinent from all my binge foods, ingredients, behaviors, and, and work the steps fearlessly and thoroughly with no cutting corners or trying to do things my way. And that's why it's so important that we keep sharing this message over and over again. It may not be new information for you. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But all it takes is for it to hit the core of our being like it did for me that day. And it was hitting me in a way where, I mean, it was painful. I threw my arms up and I yelled at God, why are you taking everything away from me? Um, That's how it felt. It was that emotional gut response. Um, And once I had that, I just, I reached out to someone from a vision for you that I heard say she was an available sponsor and I asked her to help me. I eliminated all the foods, ingredients, and behaviors that gave me the ease and comfort, the numbing feeling um, that I had always used to get me through my days and my nights. I'm going to take a drink real quick. There we go. So I had identified previously that sugar and flour um, were allergens for me. However, I had to be very clear and specific about what entire abstinence meant for me. Um, One thing that helped was I listened to a special edition by Ruth M. It's from May 4th, 2014, and it's called What Do We Mean by Entire Abstinence? There are many helpful special editions for Step 1, and working with a sponsor and recovered fellows is always helpful to narrow down what your allergens are. Um, I'll share a bit of my process, and it's, it's not because I think everyone has the same allergens as me, but just to give examples, and I found it helpful when others did that. So um, I knew that foods with sugar in them triggered my craving, so, um, which is my abnormal response. So when I would eat foods with that sugar substance in them, I wouldn't be able to predict if I could stop or moderate. So this meant for me that if sugar was anywhere listed in the ingredients of an item, I did not eat that item. Um, I also know from my own eating, eating experiences that the same applies to any type of sweeteners artificial, natural, dried fruit sweeteners, all of that. And I know that from my own experience. So any sweetener, anywhere in the ingredients, I am from it. Um, I also don't drink alcohol. And this was one of the last substances that I let go of. Um, and part of that process for me was I called recovered fellows and I asked them for their experience with it. Uh, and all of them said the same thing. All the ones I called said the same thing. You know, when you drink alcohol, it turns into sugar when it's ingested. So, drinking alcohol would be ingesting my allergic substance, and I must abstain from it. Um, I also know from my own eating history that foods with flour in them cause this abnormal response in me, and I don't have any choice, control, or ability to stop once I've started most of the time. Um, For a while in my relapse, I tried the gluten-free route, Um, that was an experiment. Uh, What I learned from that research is that um, my allergic reaction is to any type of flour, whether it contains gluten or not. So I abstain from any type of bread wrap tortilla item. I don't need to try ones made of new stuff. I, I know that is, um, that is something I have to abstain from. Um, I also know that I'm triggered allergically um, by salty, crunchy items. So I abstain from all chips, crackers, popcorn, snack items of this type, and it doesn't matter for me what they're made of. Even if it's made from something that is an abstinent ingredient, if it's made to look like that, I don't need to try new ones. They're all triggers, I just abstain from them. Something else I abstain from, um, I don't use caffeine uh, because when I would use it, it gave me a high feeling. It upped my mood temporarily. It also acted as an appetite suppressant and had a laxative type effect on my system. And that's all very triggering for me, so I abstained from that. Um, and then also behaviors. I had to look at many behaviors and see what were triggers for me. Um, and the one that I identified that I must abstain from is sitting in front of the TV and watching uh, watching it while I eat. Even if what I'm eating is abstinent, the combination for me of eating it while I watch the TV it creates a reaction in me that I'll crave more and more of the food um, and I become um, unstoppable. Most times. So it's also helpful for me to remember that the purpose of food for me, as a person who has used food for an effect um, and that effect no longer works, is that food for me is not for recreation. It's not for entertainment. The purpose of food in my life is to provide energy and fuel for my body. And I can certainly enjoy my abstinent meals the way that I enjoy a hot bath or, you know, a walk on a sunny day because they're nourishing for me. But I don't think about any of those things in an obsessive way. They're in their proper places as part of my life. I also needed to be sure that I was entirely abstinent. Uh, Many times in a way I had felt, and I get calls from others who say they feel this way, I would be unsure if I was abstinent, either because I didn't understand what it really meant or because it didn't line up perfectly with what someone else said was their abstinence or I got confused on what's a food plan versus abstinence and So abstinence is simply all these substances uh, and behaviors I don't put in my body or engage in because they trigger my allergic reaction. And then my food plan is a tool I use. It's what I do eat, how much I do eat, how often I do eat. Um, It allows me to plan an abstinent day one day at a time. And it's the medication, um, I like to think of it as medication that I take to treat the part of my illness, this allergic reaction. Um, I also hear confusion a lot, and I had some confusion around behaviors uh, that I needed to abstain from. Um, so I had to ask myself, and I will ask others when this comes up, if that particular behavior they think they need to abstain from, does it trigger the phenomenon of craving? Um, and, some, and what I realized for me was that a lot of behaviors that, um, you know, I would ask myself this about, it wasn't necessarily a trigger. I had just been told that it was a bad habit and thought I had to abstain from it. And um, this make, made abstinence kind of feel strict, like a bunch of rules that I could just never possibly live up to. And I'll just give an example to show what I'm talking about. Um, I've heard and, and been taught many times, uh, uh, yeah, heard this in meetings and been taught that uh, you know eating while you stand up, that's, that's a bad habit. So I check my history, uh, my own history. And when I eat my abstinent meal standing, um, does it trigger my reaction to crave more and more and no for me it does not so it may be a bad habit that i tried to avoid but it's not something i have to abstain from as part of my treatment for compulsive eating and it may be different for for some other people but this was just an example from my own experience so i started out with a simple food plan it eliminated my binge foods and behaviors And then I wanted to be sure I was eating for optimal health, so I hired a nutritionist to formulate a food plan for me to make sure that I was eating for that optimal health. And then um, being entirely abstinent after my relapse, it was harder than the first time I got abstinent. Uh, I was like a raw nerve. Um, Everything drove me crazy. I was restless, irritable, discontented, to say the least. I had to bite my tongue with my husband and children constantly so I wouldn't snap at them. And I just I wanted to pull my hair out or combust. Um, and the way I got through those feelings long enough to work the steps was that I used the tools of OA to support me. I had my plan of eating. I committed it to my sponsor. I wrote it and hung it in my kitchen. I listened to tons of meetings. I mean, I always had earbuds in. This was a temporary period of time that I needed to just get through abstinence while working the steps, so I did what I needed to do. Um, I needed to hear hope from all of you on this line so that I could keep going. I made outreach calls, introduced myself as a newcomer, um, I, I documented the pain I was in so that I wouldn't forget, hopefully, or have a better chance of not forgetting. Um, page 24 and the big book tells me part of the mental obsession is that I will forget. And the quote exactly says um, that I cannot bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. So I documented the pain I was going through with video diaries, my own face words and pain looking back at me for my viewing anytime time if I ever needed a, rem- a reminder. Um, I read the big book to get through um, and I had an action plan. This is such an important tool. Um, so when I started getting restless, irritable discontent, how was I gonna stick to my food plan when the mental obsession began to creep in? So I wrote out my action plan and had them posted and with me so I knew what they were quickly. Um, Take a walk, make a gratitude list, write cards to people, get my thinking off myself, call others, allow myself to just cry or scream, yoga, exercise, take deep breaths, pray, listen to meetings, whatever I needed to do in order to remain abstinent so I could work through the steps quickly. And then the steps provided the spiritual awakening in connection to the power greater than myself that I can rely upon every day, this step work and the higher power connection provides a new effect, a new ease and comfort in my life. So my mind no longer drives me back to substances that trigger my allergy. And I keep doing the work one day at a time with all of you. And uh, thank you for letting me share and do this service. I'll pass.
0: Thank you very much, Allison L., for your share. Introducing panelist number two, Pete B. from Pennsylvania. Good morning, Pete.
3: Good morning, Leah. Are you able to hear me okay?
0: I hear you well, thanks.
3: Nice, thanks. Uh, Wow, Allison, that was heavy and tough to follow, but I'll do my best. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater from Pennsylvania, recovered today by God's grace and mercy, and I'm uh, really grateful to be on the line this morning. You know, I've heard, you know, in in, in talking about this, I've heard it said in many meetings and on our line that the first step is the only one that we have to work perfectly. And so today I'm so glad that we're discussing the first step in recovery from page 30 of the big book where it says we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we are like other people or presently may be has to be smashed. You know, almost always when I ask someone that I'm working with or a friend or somebody in AA or somewhere anywhere what the first step is, they'll respond with step one. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives have become unmanageable. And in my mind, these are two very vastly different statements. Because if I admit something, it means that you know, I basically have just acknowledge it. I'm aware that there may be a problem. Versus if I concede something. It means that I bought into that concept beyond the shadow of any doubt, down to the fiber of my existence. It's unquestionable, it's undeniable, and completely and totally embraced and accepted. But in order for me, and I'm just talking for me, in order for me to fully concede, I first needed to get informed about the problem in a specific, clear, and unwatered down fashion. You know, I, I needed to know that the information that's being provided is from someone that has credentials. It's been vetted by someone who has a similar experience, and that is why I find the doctor's opinion in in our book, Alcoholics Anonymous, so helpful because it does such a a masterful job of explaining what the problem is. You know, just as just as a point to qualify, you know, I I I, I looked I look back at my experience, and I know from early on I was You know, I used food uh, in a way that it wasn't intended, like what was shared earlier, right? I, I, I used food for comfort. I connected security and comfort with food. I know that, you know, when I was, when I felt unsafe and when I felt uncomfortable, I would get food and I would get a sense of ease and comfort. You know and, and and I know from a very early age I, 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 I used food for that intent, for, the, the, for a purpose that wasn't intended, and I, and I know as a result, I was bigger, larger. one my, my, my skeleton was bigger than most of my peers, most of my friends. I'm a large person, but my weight was greater than everybody else's. I can remember in third grade being afraid to let anybody know how much I weighed because it was so much more than everybody else's. I, I, I also knew that it was because of eating. It was, it was, you know, I knew if I ate less, I wouldn't be as big, but I had no way of connecting how to eat less. I had no idea there was a reaction going on in my body that was causing me to eat more of these certain substances. I would, I would look at the weight of food, and I would think to myself, if I, only, if I ate this quantity in this package, I would only eat, I would only weigh you know, X amount of pounds, right? It would only make me gain X amount of pounds. It was distorted thinking for somebody so young to be so consumed of his weight, especially you know a male and you know the whole the whole nine yards. You know, I, I would I would come up with these plans of eating at a very young age that involved seeking out like all natural foods and natural ingredients and you know for different reasons. And I would and I was constantly disappointed in the results because I always found it necessary to go back to the substances that were causing, you know, the phenomenal craving that Allison talked about so easily. You know, I I can remember, you know, uh, uh, another fat kid that I knew when I was a kid, he got mononucleosis and he left school and he was out of school for, for months. And when he came back, he was skinny. And I had every intention in my mind to go out and get mononucleosis because I thought if I got that disease that I would come back and be skinny as well. You know, I always, I envied the kids, whose parents, you know, I knew kids, whose parents sent them away to camp and they left fat and came back skinny. And I thought to myself, man, if only my parents could, could do that for me. You see, in, in, in my household growing up in the 70s and the 80s, there was, a, there was a great deal of discord and unsettledness. And I don't think it was any, it was, not, it was no more severe than some others and maybe not as nice as some others, but there were problems, right? And uh, probably just like there is today, but there were problems. And and I knew that the problems that were going on in my uh, household—they started and ended around alcohol. And and it was no secret that when alcohol started flowing, that things were going to change in my household. And that change for me was scary. And I knew I needed to be very cautious about alcohol. And I sought—I went to food, and I would—I would consume a box of cereal or an entire cake or a dozen donuts, or something that would just make me feel and get comfortable. Which is odd how I, you know, some years later, and sparing you all of the war stories, found myself darkening the doors of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and, and you talk about the first step, that life is unmanageable. For me, life was unlivable with alcohol. Um, I, was, I, was, uh, I was restless, irritable, and discontented, and the four horsemen were knocking at my door on any given day, and I, but I loved the effect caused by alcohol. You know, in page XXII, which was also mentioned earlier in the doctor's opinion, says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate the true from the false. Now, all that time, I've, all the time that I've been in Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought that the euphoria brought on by drinking alcohol was the injurious aspect of it. And what I've learned or what I've come to the conclusion that the euph- it, it doesn't matter who you are, if you pour enough alcohol into somebody they're going to be, you know, Mother Teresa is going to be swinging from the chandeliers. It's that the euphoria is just, that's the job that alcohol does. It's a toxic substance. What I've learned, and from this is for me, through working these steps in OA, is that the injurious aspect of my disease is the allergy of the body and the obsession of the, of the mind that occurs from ingesting these substances that I know I'm allergic to. You know, when I got into AA, I, I, I worked the steps in AA as aggressively and, and as feverishly as any, you know, compulsive or, you know, alcoholic could do, right? I, I enjoyed the fellowship. I participated in sponsorship. I was a sponsor. I, I was sponsored, and I had sponsees. I would speak at meetings. I'd study this book. And I can tell you with 100% certainty that I had a spiritual experience sufficient To overcome alcoholism and i have abstained from drinking alcohol since may 27th 1997. but i will tell you that i through that process i always returned to food for the sense of ease and comfort that always came from eating you know for me it was like with with alcohol it for me it was like with alcohol my misery was so magnified and putting it down quieted that misery I thought i was happy joyous and free and to an extent i was but there existed this undercurrent or low level like sense of discontentedness that i knew i was unable to live consistently with how i believe my creator would have me live you know i'm just bringing this up because it's what comes to mind when i was putting this together is that recently there seems to be a lot of discussion about whether or not you can work the steps while eating or that one can't work by working the steps eventually put down the food and I'm going to share you this is what my experience is I had a spiritual experience working the steps while eating I ate my way through all of the AA all of the steps in AA I found a power greater than myself which seemed to solve my problem but the real issue was I didn't fully understand the problem and I had no real idea of what I was dealing with because my misery caused by eating was not as magnified as it was with alcohol, I minimized the condition or the problem and held on to the idea that somehow, some way, I or we could overcome it. I could not admit complete defeat and totally, and totally surrender as long as I was putting substances in my body that caused a phenomenal craving into my system. And when these substances get in my body and the allergy kicks in, my mind can only think of one thing, And that is how I can get more of that thing or something else like it. So sure, you can have a spiritual experience by working the 12 steps while eating. You can rectify your past and you can live a better life. The 12 steps or some form of moral psychology has been around way longer than AA or OA or any other 12-step program and have been applied to several other issues. You know, however, it's my experience that you cannot have a spiritual experience sufficient to bring about recovery from this hopeless condition while consuming alcoholic substances. So if I'm a compulsive reader of the hopeless variety as described in the preface of our book in the doctor's opinion, and in chapter three, more about alcoholism, I have no choice but to put down the food and work these steps if I wish to recover. You know, I'm glad that the only requirement for OA membership is to stop compulsively overeating. But having a desire to stop compulsively overeating does not mean that I'm a compulsive overeater of the variety for which this book and the program addresses. You know, guess who else has a desire to stop compulsively overeating, right? Every member of Weight Watchers, Nutrisystem, South Beach, Paleo, you know the rest, right? We live in a society that has normalized extra, extra large and supersized meals, right? So uh, compulsive overeaters have one symptom in common, they cannot start drinking, or eating substances without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomena, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a succinct, distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we suggest is entire abstinence. So if you don't have the allergy, or the phenomenon of craving doesn't start after ingesting these foods, or if you had it once and it went away, here's good news. You're not of the category that this text applies. And if this is the case, I congratulate you and welcome you and encourage you to incorporate these steps and principles into your life. You see, the delusion that I am like other people or presently maybe has been smashed. I'm safe and secure in the care and protection of my higher power. You know, step one in the AA 12 and 12 says we admitted we were powerless over alcohol that our lives would become unmanageable. And the first paragraph reads, who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one, of course. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that, glass in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive drinking that only an act of providence can remove it from us. Defeat. That, you know That means we lost. Right? Defeat. That means the fight is over. Food won and we'll never ever regain the title. There's no battling addiction, right? The, the war's over. We have to surrender and remain surrender if we have any hope of recovering. At least that was for me. And providence means the protective care of God or of nature as a spiritual power. And I know that there are other, there, there are other definitions, but it's saying the protective care of God. Right. So if I am powerless, I need power. Lack of power is my dilemma. In the doctor's opinion, again on page XXIII, he writes, "One feels that something more than human power is needed to produce the essential psychic change." And I shared on the line recently that there was no power in the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I realized that that could be a troubling statement in a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Right. And in thinking about that statement and some of the shares that follow, I concluded, well, I guess I must be wrong. I guess there is power in the rooms of Overyears Anonymous. But that power is human power and not the sufficient power needed to overcome this condition. Our book says on page 59 that there is one that has all power, that one is God, may you find him now. And I'm going to finish a little bit early. I'm just going to say this, that uh, in the foreword of the 12 and 12 on page 15, it says that AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And I can say to you unquestionably that all that time that I've been in AA and remain in AA, I have lived a life that looked like it was happily and usefully whole. I think it looked like I was recovered, but I constantly always went back to some substance for the sense of ease and comfort. And that substance, and I have nothing wrong. I, I see nothing wrong with obtaining a sense of ease and comfort. The problem I have, the issue I have is that I, that I seek it through substances that I'm allergic to and that, I, that, that it, it causes the phenomena of craving. And once the phenomena craving kicks in, I'm unable to put them down. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Thank you very much, Pete B. Panelist number three, Terry A.H. from Maine. Welcome, Terry.
4: Thank you, Leah. And good morning, everyone. My name is Terry A.H. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maine. And I want to thank um, the other two panelists, Allison and Pete, for the share. Thank you for sharing this opportunity and In honor, always to carry the message of uh, the program and how it works. I want to just—I'd like to start my share by just welcoming any newcomers, or those that are returning, or those who feel like you'll never get this—that there's no hope. I'm here. I'm here this morning to tell you, um, or or just to share with you that I am you, and I once felt that way. And I also want to share with you that today can be your day, that you never have to feel this way again. And so with that being said, I love the title of today's special edition, We Had to Fully Concede, um, which I'll be referencing my share to mostly page 30 today, um, as the chapter is more about alcoholism. And I like to call the chapter, uh, which I call it more about relapse, because it's more about alcoholism is all about more about relapse. So um, I want to share my journey um, with you on how I got here and um, all the um, experiences and um, uh, the ongoing journey. Uh, My first introduction to OA was sometime in the late 80s, um, early 90s. Um, I came into the rooms, um, you know, uh, just overweight and knew that I had a, a weight problem. But what happened for me was I did no steps, no sponsor, and not many meetings, and definitely no willingness. Um, you know, I was binging before and after the meetings, um, and sometimes even during the meetings, I would make my way to the ladies' room because I'd have this stash in my pocketbook. And on page 30, it says, most of us have been unwilling to admit that we were real alcoholics, or in our case, real compulsive overeaters. That no person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking, our eating careers have been characterized by countless vain, vain attempts to prove that we could drink or eat like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking or uh, eating is the great obsession of every abnormal drinker or eater. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing. Many pursued it into the gates of insanity or death, which led me to continue to do more of my own thinking and more research. And what I've learned is when you do your own thinking, you get your own answers, and it's never good. Um, For me, there was more dieting, more weight gain. And um, I did that all the way up until the year 2000 when I came in, when I came back into the rooms, more broken and beating. Um, This time I had a willingness, but um, I also came back with reservations. Um, and what that looked like, I got a sponsor, a food plan. I was attending meetings, but still no step work, um, which didn't matter at the time because I really didn't plan on staying. And on page 33, it says, if we we're planning to stop drinking, there must be no re- reservation of any kind, nor any lurking notion that someday we'll be immune to alcohol or or in our case, our alcoholic foods. And so um, what I learned is... Um, two things whenever I have a reservation. The first thing is that um, someday I'll think I will be immune to my alcoholic foods. And the second thing is I won't be willing to do the work, which is the 12 steps. And I also learned that just going to meetings, losing some weight and not working the steps is like painting over rust. It looks good on the outside, but underneath is still rust. And I left, um, again, I left with 90 days of white-knuckle abstinent and a month out of program. You know the story. Yes, um, I picked up something that wasn't on my food plan, which led me to a four-year painful relapse. And I never want to forget that because it, it took every bite to get me here, but it was painful. And on page 30, it says, we alcoholics are men and women who have lost the ability to control our, our drinking. We know that our eating uh, in our case, we know that no real compulsive overeater recovers control. All of us felt at times that we were gaining control, but such interviews, usually brief, were inevitably followed by still less control, which led in time to pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. We are convinced to a man that compulsive overeaters of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness over any considerable period we get worse, never better, and yes, it got a lot worse um In that four-year relapse, there was more weight gain. Um, I had back problems. I was having joint aches. I was definitely waking up, irritable, restless, and discontent. Um, I was now, you know, of course, lying, stealing food, um, eating beyond the point of being full. Um, uh, Going to the doctors, I was actually going to two doctors for diet pills. Um, I was retrieving food out of the trash and going from one fast food place to another. Um, And, you know, I was depressed every day, and um, I was uh, in the middle of ending my marriage. I was having problems at work. I wasn't able to show up for life, and um, all I can say is my disease had had me good. Um, And the only way I can explain it is, it was like being uh, being pulled around by my hair of my head, um, being whipped from one corner to another. And I knew, on my own power, there was no stopping. I saw for the first time I was eating without my permission, and that continued until my last my last time um, of returning to the food in 2004. I came in with a desperation. And a willingness um, never before. Um, I, I had this this gift of desperation. I got a sponsor and we begin to sit down and outline. The, she began we began to sit down together and, and she outlined the program of action. And she also asked me, um, which no one ever did, did I come back into the rooms of OA to stop eating or to stop suffering? And my answer was to stop to stop suffering. And yes, I was done. Um, she had asked me if I was done, and I was done. I, I had that four-year relapse, and I really didn't know if I was going to make it back. And and then um, she began to discuss some questions to help me get clear on if I was a real compulsive overeater, that um, honesty would be the key in moving forward. Um, she also explained the difference between the definition of abstinence and a plan of eating, In a definition of abstinence, abstinence is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards and maintaining a healthy body weight. A plan of eating was, a plan of eating is one of of the ways in which uh, an individual OA member chooses to be abstinent that includes refraining from particular foods and or specific compulsive eating behaviors. Then we began to look at the common ingredients in five categories to find out if I had this abnormal reaction to certain foods. So those five common categories were the common ingredients was I was to look at what comfort food, what were the what were the comfort foods that I kept running to? What were the um, foods that were containing sugar? What were the foods that were containing wheat and flour? What were the foods um, with um, certain mixtures of sugar and, and, and fat? Um, and also, what were the foods that I was eating in large quantity? Um, because honesty would be the key to step one. And what that looked like for me was uh, bakery goods, chips, candy, processed foods, um, cereal with lo- loads of sugar in it, pastries, pasta, bread, um, ice cream, um, any kind of bakery form, donuts, nuts. Nuts was a problem for me. Um, uh, and definitely uh, certain certain creams um that I would put on and also cheese was one of those um ingredients that was a problem for me that um I would load my 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 baked potato with with cheese or or a sour cream or um and with the foods that you know she had me look in large quantities um she also had me look you know not just with the foods that may have been causing problems but any kind of food that um you know, even the abstinent foods, which would then, um, would let me know if I I needed to weigh and measure or not. Um, and then the questions came, which, you know, I want to share with you today, which were really helpful for me when I, when I got clear on, you know, whether I was a real compulsive overeater or not. And, and those questions consisted of, do I crave more once I put them in my body? Can I take it or leave it alone? Um, You know, for one year, Um, could I take those foods and leave them alone for one year? What foods would I put my slippers on to get my binge foods? Um, You know, would I run out late at night or, you know, in the middle of the day? Can I eat just two of any of my binge foods, Um, you know, that might look like two cookies, you know, two brownies per day for 30 days, no more or less? Could I control the amount that I ate once I started? Um, did I ever make a decision not to compulsive overeat? Or eat? And, and what happened? Did I pick up again? Can I eat abstinently for one year and feel free without the 12 steps? When I'm trying to control certain foods, am I enjoying them? And when I'm enjoying them, can I control them? Was there anything that anyone could have said or did or do which would keep me away from compulsive overeating in the past or present? and once i started eating these foods does my mind tell me to stop eating or does my mind tell me that it's going to be okay to continue and then um you know the last question was can you stop the stop and can you stop from picking up again and then we looked at some of my eating behaviors i call it mindless eating which look for me uh looks for me like um the triggers that um that my reaction uh, for for more food and what it looked for me, you know, um, eating while watching TV, which was mentioned, um, eating while talking on the phone. For me, eating, standing up was a problem because it was, I would just, I would be multitasking while I was standing up, which I would, it would just, it would trigger me to just uh, look for, look for food nonstop. Eating while driving, um, eating fast or finishing first. Um, eating in bed, um, eating more when I was alone, um, in secret, eating off people's plates, um, chewing gum was the eating behavior. Um my mouth always needed to be busy. Um and then uh the BLTs, which uh which are not bacon, lettuce and tomato, but for me it was bites, flicks or taste. And so after looking at the behaviors and answering those questions and um really getting clear on, you know, that I had I had this uh thing. I learned my powerless over, over my alcoholic foods and, and what that really meant and what it really looked like was that there was a couple of components. Um one was choice and one was control and meaning once that I put any of my alcoholic foods in my system that I couldn't stop. That I that I You know, I found out that I have this allergy of the body, which means every time these foods get into my system, my body begins to do something, which means I can't explain. Um, It's called the phenomenon of craving, which sets up, you know, a craving for more. And I also learned about my mental obsession, that I, I have the inability to remember, you know, with no solution what happens to me when there's nothing in my system. So for me, I found out that I have a mind that cannot connect the dots, and will always tell me it's okay to pick up again. I learned the true definition of insanity um, is, is not doing the same thing and expecting different results, because there's actually hope in that statement. For me, the hopeless s- statement was um, doing the same thing and knowing that you're going to get the results and doing it anyway. Um, and I saw for the first time the most insane thing I kept doing was picking up. So I I, uh, I saw for the first time in my first step, I'm so grateful for my first step, truth. I saw that I have this body that doesn't process my alcoholic foods. And I also um, saw that I have a mind that does not process reality. And I saw without a spiritual solution, step one doesn't say um, that I won't eat again. Um, step one actually says I am eating. Um, I also learned that step one says that we admitted we were powerless over food before the dash. So I saw that lack of power is my dilemma. Um, physically, I lack the ability to control how much I eat, and mentally, I lack the ability not to pick up again. And then after the dash, that our lives had become unmanageable, I learned that I lacked the ability to live a successful life on my own power because I have this internal problem this internal spiritual malady, um, a dis-ease that separates me spiritually from the world, that it will only manifest itself on an external condition without a spiritual solution. I saw, for the first bo- my, I saw that um, my first bottom got me to the rooms of OA, but my last bottom got me to God because I had the willingness like never before to do the 12 steps, and today I get to live them. I haven't found it necessary to pick up my alcoholic foods. And in closing, um, you know, on page 30, it says, we learned that we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics or compulsive overeaters. This is the first step in recovery. The delusion that we were like other people, or presently maybe, has to be smashed. So when they talk about fully concede to our innermost self, what does it actually mean to concede? Um, one of the panelists talks about it. And for me, um, I can admit it, but for me, I have to be beaten into the truth. So just knowing my first step truth is never going to be enough. It has to go from my head to my heart. And why did they um, put, this is one of my, my favorite lines when they talk about the delusion that we're like other people, or presently maybe presently may has to be smashed. And why did they put presently maybe? Um, Why did they put that in there? Because for me, I know today, it's my first step reminder, even with time, you know, the question I ask myself today, do I believe still today that a physical craving would occur if I were to eat my alcoholic foods again, or that I'm like other people, you know, like I'm, um, that I'm I'm different, Um, you know, that I can pick up those foods and they're never, there's never going to be a problem. And for me, is lack of power still my dilemma today? Do I need this power to run my life today? So for me, I know that I'm not like other people. Um, I know my first step truth. And um, I know that lack of power today is still my dilemma. And I need this power to run my life. Um, So if lack of power is my dilemma, um, then with this power, no dilemma. And um, so again, as I said in the beginning of my share, you know, today can be your day because the message is hope and the promise is freedom. And I'm so grateful for my first step, truth. Thanks for letting me share, and I pass.
0: Thank you, Terry A H. Thanks to all three panelists, analysts, Allison, Pete, and Terry, of course, for sharing your personal experience with all of us this morning share i d for the presentation today twelve thousand three hundred and eighty seven that's one two three eight seven contact information for for the panelists will be offered at the conclusion of the recording so you'll please stay tuned for that. We are going to transition to question answer segment. You can pose a question by pressing star one to unmute. Please offer your first name and first letter of your last name as well. Sandy W? Marsha. Marsha, your first letter of your last name, Marsha? D. D. Who did I miss?
5: Um, Sandy W.
0: Sandy W. are one to unmute if you have a question this morning. Mary A. Mary A. Debbie E. Debbie E. Anyone else? Okay, we'll go with that group. Everybody mute, please, except for Marsha D.
6: I think Sandy was first, um, but I, I guess I'll go. <laughs> um, my question is for Pete. Pete, I appreciate, um, first, I appreciate everyone's sharing, but Pete, I appreciate what you said about working the steps while still trying to come out of the food. Um, I'm wondering if you could elaborate on how your sponsor worked with you, because my experience has been sponsors aren't willing to do that. Um, If you could just elaborate. Thank you.
3: Sure. Thanks for the question. It's a good question. I want to be really clear if my presentation wasn't clear. I never worked the OA steps while in the food. I worked the 12 step recovery program using food when I was in AA and I had a spiritual experience and I connected with a power, but I was not recovered. I did not recover. I was unable to work the 12 step recovery program in OA with using the food and it required entire abstinence. That's what our literature says. That's what, that, that, that's what I know in my heart of hearts to be true that I am not, I cannot move forward with this process while putting these substances in my body which are causing the phenomena of craving. Um, and I apologize if that wasn't clear in my presentation, but I, it, it, unquestionably, I could not get the spiritual experience necessary to overcome this condition, right, or to recover while using these substances that were, that were causing the phenomena of craving.
0: Thank you, Marsha D., for the question. Sandy W., your turn.
5: Thank you, Leah. Thanks so much, and to all the panelists, what um, beautiful examples of the Step 1 process. Um, this is Sandy W., Recovered in Connecticut. My question is this, and I apologize for my lack of knowledge of the English language, but I've heard it commented before that there is some significance to the fact that there's a dash in step one rather than an and, that, that our lives, you know, that we admitted we were powerless over food, dash, um, rather than and there. And I'm wondering if any of the panelists, Terry seemed to mention the dash, could fill me in on what the significance of, of that is. Thank you.
4: hi i can i can answer that um yeah and step one thank you for the for the question because you know i i just have a deeper level of step one today and i understand the dash it's all a part so there's there's three parts to step one you know before the dash it's the physical and the mental that we talk about that and then after the dash it's all about the spiritual malady what i suffer from so they don't put in because it's all one one step and um It it goes. It all goes together. So, for me, I learned that um, that I have to be clear on the mental and physical before I can go to the solution, which is the um, unmanageability. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you
5: for that help.
0: Thanks, Sandy W. Thank you, Mary A. Your turn. Our 1 to mute, Mary. <clears throat> Mary A. All right, perhaps she had to step off the line. Debbie E., your turn.
7: Hi, thank you very much, Leah. Do you hear me?
0: I hear you. Mm-hmm.
7: I think thank every, all the panelists very much, but I think the question is for Perry. You share that it took you time when you were listening to Vision for you until it hit you in the core, and then you knew it. That this is you knew that you've got to do this. You need, knew that you need to buckle down and get full abstinence and get rid of all the trigger foods. What what is it that all of a sudden made that come that awakening? Thank you.
0: Hi,
4: yeah. Okay. I wasn't sure. Um, yes. Hi, Debbie. Thank you for the question. And um, I didn't mention in my share um, that I had, you know, my full-time job at the time was working in a baker department, and I had uh, I worked there for 28 years, um, and 20 of those, you know, definitely good good years were um, in the food. And you know, I I had I got abstinent in, in 2004, so. I had left that job with, um, definitely, um, being out of the food. But for me, that gift of desperation came and I'll never forget it. It was, um, July 10th, 2004. Um, I had, you know, my regular routine was getting up, going to work and I would hit, you know, a D and D and, um, many, many convenience stores on the way to work. Um, I had to be to work at five in the morning and I get to work and, um, You know, I was the baker there, which was the perfect job for me. Um, I would go upstairs in the break room, go to the vending machine, load my pockets with, um, you know, a stash to get me through the day. And um, I just remember that day. It was just a full-blown binge day like any other day. But that particular day, I remember driving home and um, I hit several other convenience stores, um, some fast food places and I remember driving home, and, and this is where it really uh, it was step one was for me. You know, I was driving home, and I, I saw that uh, on my own power that I was eating without my permission. And I just remember crying out to God, you know, God, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I'm killing myself. And I remember pulling over, just bawling my eyes out. And um, I just said, you know, if if there's any hope for me, just help me to take different action. Help me to do it differently. And I remember going home um, after pulling over the side of the road, hitting my knees, and and just begging for um, some kind of a solution. And um, I had gone to a meeting that night, and that's where it all began for me. So thanks for the question. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, Debbie E. Who else has a question this morning for one of our panelists? Any of our panelists? Star 1 to unmute. Please give your name, first letter of your last name as well.
3: Julie
6: E.B.?
0: Julie E.B.? Anyone else? Kathy K.? Kathy K.? Rita J. Marina G. Kay. Marina K. Marina K. Okay. Let's begin with Julie E. B. Please, everybody else, mute. Thank you. Can you add me? Sorry. Can you add me
5: real quick? Abby B.
0: Abby B. Okay.
5: Thanks. Thanks. And Marilyn. Thanks. Yes.
0: Sorry. Julie E.B., go ahead, please.
6: Yeah, It's been my experience that admitting the powerless and unmanageability has led to um, amazing changes in the relationship and other areas of my life. I wonder if any of the panelists could share um, how that first step of being powerless can be the greatest gift and being things not being under your management could be a great gift other areas of your life. Thanks for letting me ask my question.
0: Panelists who would like to respond?
3: Hi, Lair. I can I can
4: respond to that. I w- I wanted to give the other two panelists a, uh, opportunity to jump in, but
0: why don't you start off, Terry? Thank you. Okay.
4: Yeah, sure. Thank you for the question, Julie. Um, yeah, it's, it definitely. Um, definitely, I'm so grateful for my first step experience, and like I said before, like. I had to take I had to have every bite to get me here because without every bite and um really to see my first step truth about my powerlessness you know I wouldn't have the life that I have today so it has been my biggest and greatest gift and you know I've learned um I, you know I learned so much about step 1 that it, it's it is the it's the first step to to everything but it's also for me it's almost it's almost the most important step because um for me it's like even with some time, you know, I have to ask myself on a daily basis, you know, um, am I moving closer to step one, or i moving further away from step one? And and why I say that is, it's not about the allergy for me today, because I know, you know, that I, you know, I don't want my my alcoholics today. say I do know that, but I also know after the dash where it says, you know, our lives have become unmanageable that um, that means that um, that I need this power to, to help me run my life on a daily basis. And if I'm running my life, my life is going to become unmanageable. So it's it's always a step one, step one issue for me. It's always a step one uh, problem that if I am having trouble with my life, it's because I think I now have power. So um, it always helps me to stay close to step one. And um, I'm so grateful for that because it has been a gift um, and it continues to be a gift. So thanks for the question.
0: Thank you Terry. Either of the other panelists like to respond as well? Yeah. I
3: I'll take I'll take a stab at that. I Great. Mean, I I was I was reluctant to chime in and uh, you know um what I can tell you is that um in the, in in being in a recovered state it has allowed me to be present and attentive with the people about me. You know, there uh, I hear a lot of times in the rooms of recovery where people make a comment that they're powerless over people, places and things. I'm powerless over alcohol, my life is unmanageable. I'm not powerless over people because I have the power to decide what their actions mean to me, right? I have the power to make a decision to say that that either does or does not impact me. Your thinking, your feeling, your behaviors are not a reflection of me. Right. So therefore, because I have that power, I'm not powerless over you. I have the power to make a decision about what something means to me. You know, I I, I, I don't want to be uh, present the the um, the idea or image that I don't get troubled or disturbed. For me, the delusion that I am like other people or ever will be like other people has got to be smashed. And it is smashed. So I have removed the, the, the luxury of being disgruntled at somebody else's behavior and carrying that into my into my uh, into my life and, and and I don't harbor resentment or I don't I don't, you know, punish with with uh, uh, silence and, and disregard people. I, I'm, I i I try to remember that a more important demonstration of these AA principles lies before me in my home, my occupations and affairs. Right, So I just try to be the best example as I possibly can of this book, and as a result of this program, and as a result, all of the relations in my life, in my work, in my family, in the recovery rooms, they have all improved because I don't participate and never do in, uh, participate in the discord and the, and, the, and the troubles that surround those things. And with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you, Pete. Thanks, Julie E.B., for the question. Kathy Kay, your
7: turn. Thank you, Leah, and thank you to uh, all three of you. I got so much from your shares. And my
6: question as someone who's
7: been recovered for a while, I'm just wondering whether you have found it necessary to change your plan of eating over the years you've been recovered. Uh, That's been something I've had to look at, either adding flexibility or taking out additional foods um, as I became more honest with myself. I would appreciate your experience of this.
6: This
1: is Allison. I can answer that.
0: Please go ahead, Allison.
1: Thank you for the question, Kathy. my experience even in my short time in recovery has been that I have had to take a look at my plan of eating um, a couple of times uh, if it wasn't seeming to work for me. Um, once I, you know, stopped nursing my third child, obviously my nutritional cha- uh, needs changed. And so I went back to my nutritionist. She adjusted my food plan. And then uh, another time, you know, I, I use my, my weight as a um, to tell me if my food plan is working, if I'm working towards maintaining now my healthy body weight. And at one point I noticed that there was a small um, increase happening um, over a couple of months. So I went back to my nutritionist and said, you know, the food plan isn't um, maintaining the, the healthy body weight. Um, it seems to be creeping up. So she made some necessary adjustments. Um, I also know going forward as I continue to age or if my activity level um, changes, you know, my my body's needs will change and it will, my food plan um, will have to be altered. But my abstinence, of course, um, will not change unless I find a new allergy substance that I need to abstain from. So that's been my experience. Thanks, Kathy.
0: Thanks, Kathy. Any other panelists like to respond as well? Thanks,
4: Allison. Uh, Leah, I'll respond to that. Um, thanks, Kathy, for the question. Um, my food plan really hasn't changed. Um, the only place that has changed is that it's it's been increased for more, which is always a good thing for a compulsive overeater. But um, because of uh, you know activity change, um, that's that was the reason for the increase on the amounts and. I do weigh and measure because quantity is a problem for me um you know even with abstinent food um I can overeat, so I do weigh and measure, but um the only thing that has changed with my food plan is that it's been increased on on the ounces and the amount so thanks for the question. Thank you
0: Kathy. Yeah. Okay. oh pete jump in go ahead i I'll,
3: I'll just I'll just continue so a a big part of my abstinence. Is schedule um, I have I, I, I adhere to schedules of when I eat because I, I tend to uh, put too much time in between my meals and therefore it, it, it lends itself to be to potentially overeating or getting overly hungry so the, the changes the changes for me we're getting really really crystal clear on a schedule as well as a social context on where and with who I'm going to eat I think that that's super important uh, for my abstinence, and I know when I started, my quantity of food looks way different than it than it does now, and that is as a result of a 50-pound weight loss. So I don't, I didn't, I didn't, I don't need, I don't have the nutritional requirements, and I arrived at that working with a, a, a medical professional as well as with my sponsor, and I too weigh and measure my food. Um, I don't anticipate that I'm going to. Uh, add any of my allergic substances. Actually, conversely, I, I I anticipate that you know my disease is progressive, and there are so, there there could be things that I'm eating today that could potentially become I could be potentially become allergic to. But I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Thanks.
7: Thanks, Pete.
0: Thanks again, Kathy K. Rita G. Your turn, Star One Ton Mute. Yeah, my my
8: my question is, um, yeah, I've had to have my food adjusted. Well, I didn't have to. I guess the nutritionist adjusted my food, and that threw me into a, a tailspin. And you know, which leads me to believe that I have to stick to what I was doing um, because you know, the second I change what I think you know, would keep me abstinent, I guess, you know, just sets me right off, you know. So I don't know if anybody has anything to say about that. Thank you.
0: Any panelists want to respond to Rita's experience?
3: Was that a question?
0: I believe she wanted to see if she was, uh, if that experience was shared with any of the panelists, changing one's food and set, that setting one, her off. Is the way I understood it. Rita, would you like to uh, restate your question, please? Well,
8: basically, I went to nutritionists, and they told me I wasn't eating enough to, um, you know, that I would be, uh, how do you call it, Um, not not starving, but restricting and this and that, and I had to add more stuff, better, healthier stuff into my food plan, um, and that would help me. So, And then I went to, you know, Eastern one and the Western one, and they said, kind of like the same thing and that some of the foods are better for your body to heal and this and this and Anyway, so I started eating some of the foods they told me to and right off I went right into a tailspin. So, and now I feel totally helpless how to get back on. And, you know, I'm questioning in my mind, you know, do I listen to these nutritionists and, and try to, you know, eat better or do I stick to what was working for me for eight weeks?
3: Well, I'll, yeah. so I'll just, you know, my, my uh, interpretation or just my, my impression is, like, for me, you know, it took a, it took a long while for me to understand uh, and identify the foods, the substances, and the behaviors that were alcoholic to me that I had an allergic reaction to um and when i did i i had to identify them i had i had to know that they were good for me it, you know i couldn't depend upon somebody else who doesn't have an an understanding of how i uh, of how my body reacts to tell me what i can and cannot eat now i can go to a medical professional the medical professional can give me nutritional guidelines but if that medical professional gives me guidelines and it has, you know, if 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 I go, you know, I've been to doctors and they suggested I have a glass of wine with a meal, you know, it would be, it would be good for my, for my circulation, you know, and I'm an, I'm an alcoholic, right? Like, uh, so they, they're, they, they're not uh, armed with the, well, um, they just don't, they're not aware of my condition. I have to be aware of my condition. So I would, I would perhaps reach out to somebody who knows of a nutrition, new of a, a, a medical professional that's aware of this condition and can give you a meal plan that you can follow and adhere to and that you can maintain your abstinence with.
0: Thank you, Rita G., for the question. Thank you, Pete. Marina K., your turn. Sir, one to mute. Marina Kay. Hi, it's
2: uh, sorry, I was just unmuting. Hello, it's Marina Kay. Um, I just want to know from the panelists whether they think it's necessary for a sponsor to have a sponsor in order to sponsor. Thank you.
3: So, I, I don't know where it says that in the book, but you know, I'll let my I'll let the other better qualified panelists uh, respond.
0: Allison or Terry, you've been volunteered.
4: <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Keith. That. This is Allison. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so the the big book, as
1: far as I know, doesn't use the word sponsor or say that you have to have a sponsor in order to be. A sponsor. My understanding is that in order to sponsor, you need to have had a spiritual awakening as a result of the steps and be able to carry that message, you know, um, to look for someone as a sponsee, look for someone who has what you want, which means the spiritual awakening as a result of the steps. And so there was a period of time um, when I was sponsoring and I did not have a sponsor. I was in touch with many recovered fellows on a daily basis, continuing to do my step work, but I did not have one particular um, sponsor. Um, It took me a while to find a a new sponsor as a recovered person. So there was a period of time when I did sponsor without having a particular sponsor, but um, and, and that seemed to to work for me during that period of time. So I guess that is my best response for you, Rowena K. Okay, thanks for the question. I pass.
0: Thank you, Rowena K., for your question this morning. Abby B., star one to mute. Abby B., your turn for a question.
5: Sorry about that. I was just pulled to the side of the road. Thanks, everybody. I think you're all very inspired. Um, my my question has to do with uh, service with people who have not quote unquote conceded to their innermost self, or have but are not willing to, have not put down the food. And I, I think there's a discussion about the word will. But we have ex- we, ta- we hear about the step one experiences of Bill and Bob and Epi and plenty of other people and these are people who are struggling, I guess, against their, it's like they don't have the knowledge, like can see innermost self, true, personal truth, you know, and I know people have to have, I, like you said, our own personal experience. So it's not that somebody else has a great food plan, it's that we can see what we've done with those foods. So talk about, and I know it's late, talk about your work um, outside of meetings, one-on-one with people who, you know they're desperate, but they just, yeah, they haven't gotten there. Just they haven't, don't have their hair on fire. They don't, they feel defeated sometimes, but not all the time. Thanks for listening for my long question.
0: Thank you, Abby. Panelists, Abby would like to hear, I believe, your experience working with people who don't have the desperation in regard to step one and surrender.
4: Anyone like to Hi, share? Larry, I, I can start start mm-hmm. on that. Um, thanks for the question, Abby. And um, I always meet people where they're at, but, you know, um, the big book tells us really clearly on page 96, it says, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another compulsive overeater and try again. You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer, we find it a waste of time of keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic or compulsive overeater an opportunity to live and be happy. And then it says one of our fellowship failed entirely with first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others have since recovered of their chance. So um, that's, you know, that's been my experience is that, you know, um, eventually, you know, um, the willingness, if they have any, um, will either move them forward and if they don't have any, you know, um, it will take them away. And I've just learned that it's not up to me, um, you know, if they get it or not, it's it's really... Um, willingness is a one-person job, and I know it took me a long time to get here, And uh, um, but, uh, you know, to leave such a person alone would, you know, I, I once, uh, a wise man, one of my spiritual teachers said, you know, to ensure, um, to help one another is to ensure one's recovery, but to enable another is to ensure one's death. And so that's really helped me to um, meet that person where they are, but um, do not spend a lot of time on that person if they don't have the willingness. And uh, thanks for the
8: question.
3: Yeah, that happens. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, th- that, was, that was awesome. Uh, so, you know, my, my, my thinking on that is, you know, it says no human power. That includes a sponsor, right? Like there's no human power, you know. And, and, and you know, my opinion, my understanding of sponsorship, sponsorship is a tool that I use to keep me abstinent and recovered, and whether or not somebody, whether or not somebody gets it or not, is not my business. It's not my, it's not my job. There is one that has all power. That one is God. I May mean, you find him now. Right. Uh, you know, uh, when Bill went to see yeah. Dr. Bob and, Dr., and, and, and talked to Dr. Bob, he presented all the information that he had about alcoholism to Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob heard it. He listened to it. He started working with others. He was, they were hanging out, they were doing their thing. And Bob was reluctant to do certain things, didn't want to, didn't want to make amends, didn't want to notify people of, of, of the things, the wrongs he had done. He was afraid he was going to jeopardize his business. And he went away to Atlantic City, and he had the bender to end all bender, benders, which caused him to then be completely willing. So, you know, we can't deprive anybody. If we deprive an alcoholic of their pain, we might as well kill them. And it's not our job to soften the bottom for anybody. It's that we have, we, have to, we have to let a person get to the point of desperation and not prevent that from occurring. That will pass.
0: Thank you, Abby B., for the question. Final invitation for questions. We can take a few more. Do you have a question? Mary, Mary A. Mary A.,
6: Barbara P. from Atlanta.
7: Barbara
0: so, P. Yvonne G. Yvonne. Yvonne Sue B. Yvonne, excellent. Okay, we'll go with that group. This is our final group. Mary A., please go ahead with your question. Everybody else mute.
5: Thank you. Uh, this is Mary A., Compulsive Overeater. My question is for Pete. Uh, Thank you all for your shares. Uh, Pete, you mentioned that always seeking out ease and comfort through substances. How were you able to achieve ease and comfort without using
3: any substances? I seek out ease and comfort from substances. I get ease and comfort from my breakfast and ease and comfort from my lunch and ease and comfort from my dinner. You know, food has an effect. It, it's always going to have an effect and I'm not afraid of that effect. What I don't, what I don't consume are foods that give me a sense of ease and comfort that also inc- include the, the, or create the phenomena of craving. You know, I have to be 100% abstinent from foods that, for, and substances and behaviors that cause the phenomena of craving. You know, I, I, I have, a, I have a, 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 my lunch, I'm hungry, I get an effect produced by the food I eat. It nourishes me. It gives me fuel for the rest of the day. That's what they believe the intended purpose is. I, just, I, I abstain from foods, behaviors, substances that cause the phenomena of craving. Without a pass.
0: Thank you, Mary A., for your question. Barbara B., your turn.
6: Yeah, hi, this is Barbara P from Atlanta. And just um coming out of a relapse in and on abstinence food, but way too much. Um so and I think I heard the first speaker kind of say that because that is just as crazy making and mentally twisted. Um anyway, I got caught again, so I'm calling it relapse. I'm working the program and and certainly back in um a clean food plan. But here's so the question is how long I heard the first speaker especially mention kind of detox and so while I'm not detoxing from substances I am crazy and resentful and judgmental and critical I've been keeping it in my head so you know that's I guess okay and I've been talking to fellows but I guess the question is how how long did that last for you um if you can if you can pinpoint that so I guess that's to the first speaker or any of the speakers
4: Allison, Barbara. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is
1: Allison. Thank you for the question, Barbara. That is such a a difficult and crucial time when we are entirely abstinent. uh, And yet we've not had the spiritual awakening from working the steps yet. I mean, we are in a lot of pain and discomfort. And that's where we must rely on the tools on our fellows on doing whatever it is that we need to do to get through that time of pain. It takes grit because while we are helpless, uh, while we're powerless, I'm sorry, we're not helpless. We can abstain and we can um, distract our minds temporarily long enough to get through the step work. So we do the step work and we need to do it quickly. As the saying goes, like our hair is on fire because there is a fire, it's right behind us. We can only stay abstinent for so long before the mental obsession will drive us back. So we must get the step work done. And how long that takes depends on how quickly you get through the step work. And so I I meet my sponsees where they are. Where's their willingness? How how much step work are they willing to get done um, in a day? How quickly do they wanna go through it? We can set days and times to talk and that seems to, to work and then we talk we read they do the step work we said you know we have our next time um, that's how I worked with with my um, my sponsor um, it took me nine weeks and that was a long nine weeks of entire abstinence and I honestly after relapse I did not start getting um, some relief um, until uh, I started making amends um, so, even around step four, step five, I, I didn't get much relief from doing my fifth step after my relapse. Uh, it really started to come after I was making amends and, um, yeah, and then, uh, but over over time, you know, the um, intensity, frequency, and duration of those periods of restless, irritable discontent, you know, they start to lessen as we work the steps is, is what I can offer you as hope. So, um, thank you for your question, Barbara. I'll pass.
3: I'll uh, and I'll just take a stab at that, Barbara. That's a that's a great question. I hear a lot of times that we, you know, it's often heard, especially that this time of year. How do you put the food down? And, you know, my experience is is that you know I I am I am convinced that God will do for me what I cannot do for myself. And I'm also that much convinced that God will never do for me that what I can do for myself. You know, so for me, I had to pray for the merciless obsession to be removed. I prayed with all earnestness for the merciless obsession to be removed. And the obsession, the craziness, the uh, the need to eat those substances, um, it takes It takes a while to leave because i've been on a diet before i I've, I've put the food down before it wasn't like immediately extinct the, the desire wasn't immediately distinguished for me. but what I did what some of the other members said is i used I used the tools that are available to me um, and i and I made a decision in my mind that I was going to go to i'm willing to and go, and will do go to any length necessary any length necessary. To not compulsively overeat or not pick up those substances, and that means that any that nothing, absolutely nothing, is more in, or is is more inconvenient or more expensive than compulsively overeating. That I will do whatever it takes in any way, shape, or form to maintain um, my, my my abstinence and not pick up those foods that were that were necessary. And 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 little by little, that that uh, that dissipated. I was expecting it to be. Lifted, like the the compulsion to drink was lifted from me, and my experience was that it took it took grit, it it took it took some uh, uh, determination and perspiration, and with that, I'll pass.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Barbara P for the question. Um, did another panelist?
4: Yeah, I was gonna okay. Carrie, go and ahead. Take, a, take mm-hmm. a jab at that. Um, sure. Thanks for the question. Um, so. Uh, I, I, my heart goes out to you because I I just remember the pain and I I remember like coming out of the food, like, um, and having, you know, to go in the place of employment that I had to go to every day. And, um, I just remember like coming, you know, just having that food fog, it's like, you know, a drunk coming off uh, a binge, you know, just waking up every morning, feeling drunk. And I remember saying to the guide at the time, my, the sponsor at the time was, you know, how long, how long does it take? to do the steps and she she replied how you know how soon do you want to get well and she she you know she reminded me that I'm um in a race against my mind because my mind will always tell me that I don't need to do this that you know um that I can take my time and she said you know the quicker you know a couple days of you know two days of abstinence and let's let's get busy and and um and that's exactly what happened for me I, you know uh quickly went through the steps and um the obsession was removed so that's my um That's my experience. Thanks for the question. Yes, thank you, Barbara P. Sue B.,
0: it's your turn.
2: Hi, this is Sue G. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I think my question has pretty much been answered, but I think I'll try to put it another way. After two years of working, uh, well, one year, of working through the steps and and staying in touch with my sponsor. Um, we began meeting just once a week for maybe five to ten minutes. And, um, and now she suggested that I go through the steps with another sponsor just to refresh me because I started to slip. I got uh, very sick and I started to slip on my program. Um, I'm eating a little. I'm eating not my red foods, but I'm eating too much of my green foods. And um, can any suggestions on that? Thank you.
0: Any panelists want to respond to Sue's question related to eating too much uh, of? Mm-hmm.
3: So. Um, my, my response is, it, 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 you're abstinent or you're not, right? Like it's it's there's you know I can't pretend that, that I'm either abstinent or not. If if I'm if I'm if I'm if, if I eat a weighted and measured meal, if I'm eating more than I'm supposed to eat, I'm not abstinent, and and um, you know that might be I don't know I don't that's that's just that's just you know. What, what I've defined my abstinence and that's just what it is. Um, and I, you know, I, I found that, you know, or, or I understand that if I, if I eat outside of that, there's something, there's something wrong inside. There's something going on inside. I'm having some kind of abnormal reaction. Perhaps there's still some kind of uh, su- some, some substance in my food that's causing the craving to the phenomenon of craving to kick in. I have to look at that. I have to look at what the causes and conditions, you know, I don't. I can't comment on whether or not you should work the steps again or 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 not. But I just, you know, if there's, I have to ask myself what's going on that's causing me to want to eat more of uh, than I'm supposed to. Use food in in a in a way that it wasn't intended to be used. And with that, I'll pass.
4: Um, leah I'd like to take a, a a jab at that too. Thanks to for the question. Um. And, you know, only, I only share my experience because I, I've had that experience. And, you know, the first time that I came into OA, I, had, I was given a food plan and, um, you know, I, I was, it was suggested that, you know, I weigh and measure, which I did. But the, the thing that got me was, you know, they said I had to weigh and measure inside the home, but outside the home that I didn't have to weigh and measure. And um, all I can say is because of my truth, um, I was eating out a lot. Because I didn't have to weigh and measure, so with that experience, um, I knew that um, I had to weigh and uh, measure a hundred percent. Because um, you know, I'm dishonest when it comes to amounts, and um, I'm I'm dishonest when it comes to even abstinent food. You know, if you tell me that I'm going to have, I can have one apple. I'm going to go to a Whole Foods and find the biggest apple because that's that's you know that's me. And um, so I had to get really honest about you know if if quantity was a problem for me, you know, it's, 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 you know, the principle of the first step is honesty and it's all about, you know, um, it's not whether I want to or not, it's whether, you know, whether I have to. And, um and that, that was my, that's been my experience. So thanks for the question.
0: Thank you, Suji for the question this morning. Our final question this morning comes from Yvonne.
7: Yes, thank you so much, and everybody, panelists, and thank you for sharing all this information with me. Um, I've been working with—I want to continue with sponsorship. I've been working with a sponsor who is an alcoholic and has been sober a long, long, long time, and she doesn't get it with OA. So. Um, I've been sharing my experience with her. I tell suggestions which I got and um she does a lot of work with Power and goes to meetings, OA and AA and everything, but she doesn't stay abstinent and I feel overwhelmed with this. I don't I sometimes think I'm the wrong sponsor for her. This has been uh, going on for a few years already, and I, don't, I just don't know what to do anymore. I don't want to drop her down because good, uh, good conversations, and she's very happy to call me, but it doesn't work. So, and I, I know I'm doing something wrong, and I hope I don't. The wrong thing is not to keep contact with her, because then I don't understand the program. So I would appreciate answers to this question.
0: Alison, Peter, Terry, wanna to respond to Yvonne's
4: situation. Hi, Leah, I wasn't I wasn't um clear on the question. If if Yvonne could come back in and and maybe get me clear on that so I can mm-hmm. respond.
0: I heard it as a sponsee not having the desperation necessary to implement the work in OA. Uh, Yvonne would you like to clarify that?
7: Ah, uh, yes. We have been working with this um booklet um abstinence and sponsorship, something like that. And I have her reading um uh uh meditations, OA meditations, but um she's done the work with the twelve steps with AA. She hasn't done I don't know if she did the, she's done them with A with OA in her meetings. With me she we do them with this booklet. But so um I think I'm not doing the right work with her. I don't feel well with myself, Uh, but she doesn't, yeah, okay, that's it, thank you.
3: So, I'd like to comment on that. I was told, I was told that no matter what you do, no matter what approach you take, you will never, ever, ever be able to talk somebody out of being abstinent, and I was also told, no matter what you do, if somebody's ready to be abstinent, ready to recover, there's nothing you can do or say that's going to make them not ready to be abstinent. You know, again, it, it, you know, desperation is the gift. And, and uh, without desperation, we can, you know, Bill Wilson himself can deliver this message to each one of us. If we're not ready to receive it, if we're not ready to do something about it, there's nothing we could possibly do to get, to, to get it. And with that, I'll pass.
7: Thank you so much. Thank you,
0: Yvonne, for the question. Thanks to everybody for your questions this morning. Much appreciated. And, of course, thank you to our panelists, Allison, Pete, and Terry, for your helpful experience and service this morning. Greatly appreciated, as always. We're going to close from page 164. You'll find it in the chapter entitled, "Division for You. Our book is meant to be